such a joy to be at Midway. I love this church and have respected it for many, many years. I appreciate so much the opportunities that I've had in the past to be at Midway. And I've just always counted it a great honor to be able to speak at Midway. People that I really believe uh, love the Lord and trying real hard to do what God has asked us to do in this life that we might get to heaven. I don't know how many of you are visitors, but I know Brother L.T. Garganus. He's not a stranger, but he's a visitor here at this place. And uh, normally I think at Parish, but it's always good to see him. And he's probably not home for very long uh, wherever he's going next because he's always kind of got plans to be somewhere uh, in some foreign field in not too distant future. I think Mark is preaching somewhere tonight and anxious to get to PTP as soon as he can. I figured he might already be there with all the responsibilities that he has for that. But thank you so much for the opportunity to come. And I know that you've been studying uh, why and questions that began with why. It's my understanding there are something like 3,000 questions in the, in the Bible. And quite a number of them actually... Uh, began with why. Clarence McCartney, in his little book on words, he said that why is the most mysterious word uh, in the Bible. And he asked these questions, and I've copied these down uh, that he had asked. He said, what is the word that if we knew the answer, we would think we knew as much as God? That word is why. What is the word spoken by the righteous when injustice and wickedness seem to reign? The word is why. What is the word when the righteous have the hand of God's discipline heavy upon them that they ask? And again, the word is why. What is the word spoken by parents? One of my little grandchildren is handicapped with autism, and I promise you, that my daughter has asked why. Or when death comes to a child, parents ask why. What is the word that Gideon spoke when he saw Israel devastated by the Midianites? You remember he says, if God be for us or with us, why has all this befallen us? What is the word that Job spake when he was stripped of possessions, children, his health, and sitting in ashes? And you remember he said, why did I not die from my mother's womb? What is the word of the psalmist when he thought God had forsaken him? And again, it's why. What is the word for which the answer will come only when heaven's gate is open to us? And the word is why. What is the word that, tell, that fell from the Lord's lips when he died for you and for me? The word was why. Tonight, we're looking at Acts chapter 1, and the question is actually found in verse 11. The question is found right in the middle of what we would refer to as the ascension of Christ. You know, the ascension of Christ is mentioned several times uh, in the New Testament. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 62, he talked about going back where he was before. In John chapter 20 and verse 17, Jesus said, touch me not. 
for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. You remember that summary passage in 1 Timothy 3.16 when Paul said, Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, that he was justified in the spirit, he was seen of angels, he was preached unto men, and it says he was received up into glory. At the end of two of the gospel accounts, uh, we see uh, reference to the ascension. In Acts 16, I mean Mark 16 and verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. In the last verses of the gospel account of Luke, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Peter would make a reference to that in the first epistle of, of Peter, in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 22. And I want to read that, 1 Peter 3, 22. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. But now let's read our text in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. From other accounts, we would know that Jesus is at the Mount of Olives near Bethany. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked, talking about the apostles, steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing or looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. This question in verse 11 why stand ye gazing up into heaven? And the context springboards my thoughts to about six other questions. And those questions are as follows. Will Christ come again? When will Christ come again? What is the matter of his coming? What will his coming be like? What is the purpose of his coming? How should his coming affect me? And the last question, what is the greatest need that I have for that day? Paul answers that in a quite a unique setting in prison in referring to Onesiphorus in 2 Timothy 1. So let's notice this context of this question and these other questions that arise from that. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul said, we preach Christ warning every man. This lesson tonight will be somewhat of a warning. I love Psalm 19 and verse 11. It just talked about in verse 10, God's precepts, they're more to be desired than gold and fine gold, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. And he said in verse 11, by them thy servant is warned. And in the keeping of them, there is great reward. My, that's just one of the most precious verses that you could ever imagine. Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 9 that I want to be found 
when the Lord comes back, I want to be found in him. So I hope you'll keep that kind of in the back of your mind as we look at these questions. Number one, will Christ come again? This very context says that he shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You know, the Old Testament really could be summed up in one way, that Christ is coming. The Gospels could be summed up with Christ is here. And the rest of the New Testament could be summed up that Christ is coming again. You remember that very familiar passage in John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now that was Jesus himself saying, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Just think about how many of the parables had to do with the Lord's return. You think about what he taught about the parable of the virgins in Matthew 25. The underlying thought of that is that Christ is coming again and you be prepared. The next parable in that same chapter, you would think about the parable of the talents. And again, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That's our idea again. Then you see the judgment scene in Matthew 25. Think about the parable of the tares in Matthew 13. The parable of the net in Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 50. And just so much of the Lord's teachings had to do with that I am coming again. In Hebrews 9 and verse 28, you remember verse 27 very well. It's pointed unto the man once to die and after this the judgment. But it says in verse 28 that he shall come a second time. That the Lord will come a second time without sin, for salvation, not to deal with sin, but it'll be to a different time then. He's already done that. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, you remember to the elders, Peter said, when the chief shepherds shall appear, you shall receive a crown that fadeth not away. In Philippians 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior. In James 5 and verse 7, be patient therefore, brethren, Unto the coming of the Lord. First John 3 and verse 2. It does not appear yet to be what we, sh what we shall be. But when, uh, we, when he comes we shall be like him. You remember in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the very first verse. In the beginning. There was a beginning. And there will be an end. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15. And verse number 23. It says at his coming. And then verse 24 begins. Then cometh the end. As surely as there was a beginning, there will be an end. In Genesis 1, in verse 5, it talks about the first day. And as surely as there was a one first day, there will be a last day. In John 6, verse 40, and verse 44, two times there in just a few verses, Jesus talked about the last day. I'll raise him up at the last day. You remember John 12, in verse 48, that talked about... Uh, my word will judge you in the last day. In Second Peter chapter 3, in 10 verses in Second Peter chapter 3, uh, we see a reference to the coming of Christ. 
Will Christ come again? You just read Second Peter chapter 3, and it's quite obvious that you'll be taught uh, that he will. He said in verse number 4 that there were some who were questioning the Lord's coming, and they were saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And he answers that question. He said, you're saying everything has continued just like it was since creation. He said, you are willingly ignorant of something. And he addresses that in verses 5 through verse 7, and that was the flood. He said, the flood is a reminder that God destroyed this earth on one occasion with water. And the same God, with the same promise, made a promise that he will destroy the earth with fire when the Lord returns. And the Lord will return. In verses number 8 and 9, he says that God doesn't mark time like we do. You know, you just think about uh, God is the God of eternity. He has always been. You and I had a beginning in this world. And uh, you just think about when he says here that to God a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. God doesn't mark time. And uh, you think uh, 2,000 years, that just day before yesterday. For the Lord, when the Lord made the promise that he would be coming back, uh, that would just be like the day before yesterday. But he says that God is patient. In verse number 9, he is long-suffering to us. Verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why has the Lord not returned? It's because of his love for us, his longing for people to be saved, and he is, he is long-suffering and patience with us. And uh, so, but he says here that God is faithful, and God has made a promise that Jesus would return. And notice what he said in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, you can rest assured that the Lord is faithful. It won't stay hot as it is right now uh, for the next six months. And some of you probably been baling hay or maybe making other provisions for maybe cattle or for your own heat in your house. Well, who in the world would be wanting to get something to make heat for in the house as uh, hot as it is now? Because you know that God is faithful and that's not going to stay this way. The seasons will change. And God's made a promise that the Lord would return. There were 300 prophecies of his first coming. They all came to pass, didn't they? Now think about what he said about his second coming. Is there any less uh, faith that we would have in the promises of the second coming than for the first? And you think about the day of the Lord's return is tied to the resurrection, to his resurrection from the dead. As surely as the Lord was raised from the grave, Acts 17, verse 31 the Lord will return. I wish we had time to look at First and Second Thessalonians. And you know there's a reference to the return of Christ in all eight chapters of these two letters that Paul wrote to Thessalonica. In First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, chapter 2, verse 19, chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 15, chapter 5, verse 2, Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 3, and verse 5. And you know, every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, you think about this, there is a look backward to the body and blood of our Lord. But there is to be a look forward to the Lord's return. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Till he come, 
You do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Revelation 1 verse 9. Behold, he cometh. Yes. Will Christ come again? Oh, yes, he'll come again. It is a future reality. Because the Lord, the faithful Lord, said so. Number two. When will Christ return? You know, there have been a lot of people who tried to predict when the Lord is going to come back. And even in the time of First and Second Thessalonians, which were some of the earliest letters written, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the first three verses, there were people who were saying that Christ was going to come back uh, soon. And Paul encouraged them to go back to work. Some may have quit work. And uh, so these predictors, the fact is plainly revealed that the Lord will return. The time is not. The Lord repeatedly spoke that no one knows. And either those who say they know are uninformed or they have no respect for the scriptures when they try to predict when the Lord will return. In Mark 13, verse 32 to verse 35, three times, I believe, in those verses, the Lord said, nobody knows. There are no signs of when the Lord will return. At the end of that parable of the virgins in Matthew 25, verse 13, watch ye therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour that the Lord will return. Chapter 24, verse 36, verse 42, verse 44, be ye ready. For you know not when that time will be. So no one knows. First Thessalonians 5 verse 1 through 3 says it will be as a thief in the night. As travail that would come upon a woman with child. No one knows. He will come sometime. He could come anytime. It behooves us to be ready at all times. You remember that little childhood game that we used to play? And you know, there's a lot of games that have kind of gone never to return, I guess. But this one is still around because my little grandkids were just playing it the other day. Hide and seek. And if somebody has to stand in somewhere and count and somebody else, you know, they go hide. And, and you remember what they say? Ready or not, here I come. Well, it's kind of similar to that, that the Lord will return. We don't know when that time will be. Let's be prepared. Question number three, what will his coming be like? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, and verse 16, the Lord himself, it will be personal. The Lord himself. It won't be uh, through some other avenue that the Lord would send uh, angels or whatever. No, the Lord himself when the Lord returns. It will be glorious. Matthew 16 and verse 27 talks about the glory of his return. Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall, be, uh, shall come in the clouds with all his holy angels with him. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 to 9, the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. It will be a glorious event. It will be visible. You know, some of those folks in the past who... who uh, uh, turned out to be proven to be false prophets, you know, that had spoken and said Jesus was going to come. Well, then they came up with the idea that he came and nobody saw him. Well, 
Revelation 1, verse 7 says, Every eye shall see him. Acts 1, verse 11, our text for our question tonight says, As you have seen him go, you will see him come back. So it will be visible. It will be audible. They said, well, you know, he came uh, invisibly and silently. Verse Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 says, with the trump of God. And you remember, uh, with a great shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, it says, and the, uh, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Uh, you won't wonder what's happening, I don't think. And also, his coming will be unexpected as a thief in the night, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Well, our next question. Why is Christ coming? Why is he coming? I know some reason he's not coming. He's not coming to set up his kingdom. He taught while he was here. The kingdom was at hand, Matthew 4 and verse 17. In fact, he said there's some here that not even going to die before the kingdom comes, Mark 9 verse 1. And we would see in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he would talk about uh, setting that kingdom up and the cross wouldn't prevent it from happening. He would tell in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that the kingdom was close. It was fixing to come with power. The power came in Acts chapter 2 and Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul said we're in the kingdom. So he's not coming to set up his kingdom. He's not coming to sit on David's throne. Acts chapter 2, verse 29 to 36 plainly points that Jesus is sitting on David's throne now at God's right hand. He's not coming to reign a thousand years on earth. Brother L.T. Gerganus preached a whole meeting down here, uh, some little congregation way out in the county. I liked, I never found it one night, but we did. And, uh, but he preached a whole week on premillennialism. And the Lord is not coming back to reign a thousand. He's reigning now, isn't he? According to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23 to 26, he's reigning now. And when he comes, he's going to give up his reign back to the Lord, back to the Father. Well, why is he coming? Well, he's coming to raise the dead. I'll raise him up at the last day, John 6. John 5, 28 and 29, the hour is coming when all they that are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul talked about when the Lord comes back. And he wasn't there having reference to the unrighteous. They were concerned about the righteous being at a disadvantage. But the unrighteous and the righteous both would be raised at the same time. And uh, so he's coming to raise the dead. He's coming to change the living. Uh, there will be folks alive when the Lord comes back. And the Bible says that they'll be changed. First Corinthians 15, verse 20, 51. And also in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, who will change their vile body, the liken to, into an immortal body. But he's also coming to destroy the world. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, when he comes, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements and all the things therein shall be burned up. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, there was no more sea. First uh, John 2 and verse 17 says, And the world passeth away. And that passage in Hebrews chapter 1 talks about uh, the earth being folded up, so to speak. And uh, so he's coming to destroy the world. He's also coming to judge all people. He will judge the world. Acts 17 and verse number 31. Before him shall be gathered all nations when he comes, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd does his sheep. 
Matthew 25, verse 31 and verse number 32. Yes, the Lord is coming to judge. We'll stand before his throne, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10. You just think, oh, Brother W.A. Bradfield uh, used to preach a sermon entitled, Scenes at the Judgment. The greatest crowd, the greatest judge, greatest books, the greatest verdicts, the greatest separation. My, on that great, great day when the Lord comes to judge. He will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. Matthew 16 and verse 27. You just think about those on that day that will be lost. A loss that's irreplaceable, irreversible, immeasurable, and inexcusable. Just think about the people that will be lost. The multitudes, the most compared to the few that will be saved. The many compared to the few. Where the smoke of their torment will send up forever and ever, day and night, and they have no rest. Revelation 14, verse number 11. Think about the saved on that day. My, just think about being a part of that and get to be in heaven, a beautiful place where all the burdens of life are removed. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying. So why is Christ coming? Now, let's spend just a little bit of time asking the, answering the question, how should the second coming affect us? Peter said in 2 Peter 3 and verse 11, just after saying that the, when the Lord comes, the thief in the night and all this is destroyed, he says, what manner persons ought ye to be? Now that to me is a piercing question that should be a source of motivation for you and for me to continually live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. In view of the Lord's return, that could be at any moment. One old gentleman I've read about it said that he would go to the window sometimes before he'd pillow his head at night. And he would say, tonight might be the night. When he'd get up in the morning, many times he'd go to the window. He'd look outside and he'd say, today might be the day. And it's so true. You know, we think just like those folks did in Second Peter 3 because it didn't happen yesterday and hadn't happened today. It probably won't happen tomorrow. And that, you think how many people that will get in trouble on that day when they say, well, I just can't believe, you know, that it's happened today. But it is a future reality. In view of that, how should we live? Well, we ought to look for it. Titus chapter 2, Paul told Titus, he said, you look for that glorious appearing, great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 and verse 28 says, and to them that look for him, oh, looking for him, we ought to live for it. Colossians chapter 3, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you appear also with him in glory. We ought to labor for it. We sing the song, work for the night is coming when no man can work. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, we labor that whether present or absent, we might be accepted of the Lord. Not only to look for it and live for it and labor for it, we ought to long for it. 2 Peter 3 and verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the day of the coming of the Lord. Paul talked about loving that appearing. 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 8. Revelation 22 verse 20 next to the last verse of scripture Come, Lord. Come, Lord. We ought to look for it, live for it, labor for it, long for it. 
Peter said we ought to live holily and godly. Oh, you don't want to be ungodly and unholy. 1 John 3 and verse 2 says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We ought to live like God knows our every move. And he does. There's an old song. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. But we ought to be watching and waiting. Luke 12, verse 37. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 talks about watching and waiting. Blessed are those that are found watching. Luke 12, verse 37. Peter said we ought to be hopeful people. Uh, looking for a new heaven to new earth. We ought to be zealous people, verse 14 of Second Peter 3, uh, be diligent to be found when the Lord returns. We ought to be pure, he said, to be without blemish, without spot. We ought to be peaceful, he said, to be found in peace. We ought to be wary in the sense of beware, he said in verse 17, beware, lest you fall from your own, unsteadf- your own steadfastness. We ought to be growing, verse 18, he said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ought to be praising God. Verse 18, he said, to God be the glory. There's an old song that we sing. There's a great day coming. And my, I mean, it just has to permeate our lives that that is a future reality. In Matthew 25, when the Lord gave that parable to virgins, he said, in essence, there's an inevitable meeting. A meeting. Verse 1, we don't know when it'll be, verse 13, there'll just be two classes of people. He said, wise and foolish. You can't borrow fitness from somebody else. There'll be a time when it's too late to prepare, the door will be closed. There are serious consequences for not preparing, and it's the height of folly to not be prepared. Three times in those 13 verses, he referred to the foolish. Now, for the last few minutes that I have, what's the greatest need that I have facing the Lord's return? In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16 through 18, Paul said, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy in that day. I really believe that's the greatest need that I have facing the day of the Lord's return. That I might have mercy in that day. You know, nothing else is going to matter very much on that day only whether I receive mercy I'll need it more than air or heartbeat Titus 3 verse 5 says that we're saved by mercy God is rich in mercy Ephesians chapter 2 but you know the Lord shows mercy to those who realize their need of mercy the man in Luke 18 God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That publican realized he needed mercy. Pharisee didn't think he needed mercy. And I promise you, 
he'd get no mercy at the judgment. The Lord grants mercy on that day to those who show mercy. In fact, James said in James 2.13, said, we'll receive judgment without mercy if we've shown no mercy. Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Remember Matthew 9, verse 13, God, the Lord said, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Yes, that's my greatest need. Those who appreciate God's mercy now will find it in that day. People who reach out for what the Lord offers, and he offers us mercy, doesn't he? The rich man in Luke 16, he'd lived his life. He never did appreciate and appropriate God's mercy. And look where he was, in a place without mercy. I think about Felix in Acts 24. And, you know, it, unless something happened that we don't have recorded, judgment without mercy. Psalm 103 in verse 17 says, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to them that fear Him and keep His commandments. The coming of the Lord. It is a future reality. Will Christ come again? Oh, yes. When will He come? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Could come anytime. Must come sometime. Behooves us to be ready at all times. What will his coming be like? Why is he coming? Just think about what I should be doing in view of his coming. And what's my greatest need facing that day. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and uh, for listening. I think the classes are ready to come back in, so you're dismissed at this time.